Welcome, everybody, to the Not Funny Guys Present Why, exploring the philosophy, rhetoric, and cultural impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Eric, who knows some, but not a lot about philosophy. Yeah. Rhetoric? No. How about comic book culture? Yeah, not, not, well, the movies? There you go. <laughs> Which is why he's here to talk to me. This pod is an extension of our main podcast, The Not Funny Guys Present Off the Reels, where we explore the films. And here we'll explore a little bit deeper into some of the ideas that stick out and have some vigorous debate, starting by asking the question, why? So this is episode six, and we're going to look at the deontological uh, elements of Captain America Winter Soldier and the Guardians of the Galaxy who come together to save the universe. So before we get to our topic, quick point here, we have a couple of characters, a little house cleaning business here from the comic books. Of course, we've already seen Nick Fury, Maria Hill, but I want to go ahead and bring them on board now because I didn't introduce them previously. But of course, Nick Fury, as we know him in the comic books, Nicholas Joseph Fury, originally was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and appeared as a World War II soldier in Sergeant Fury and Howling Commandos number one in 1963. Um, he stood out for me too a lot more. <laughs> no, well, and interestingly enough, he, that character was eventually replaced as we now see him in the MCU version, which was created as part of the Ultimate Universe by Brian mm -hmm. Michael Bendez and Mike Alred. Um, and they based um, the, based on the comic book uh, original comic version, and it first appeared in Ultimate Marvel Team Up number five in two thousand one. And the uh -huh. ironic piece is that they wanted Samuel L. Jackson and what they based their version on. And then Samuel L. Jackson in a nice piece of meta commentary on everything would eventually become the one in the MCU. So <laughs> we also have Maria Hill, who is actually a relatively newer character. She first appeared in the new Avengers number four in 2005, created by Michael Bryan, by Michael Mendez and David Finch. Uh, she was more of a supporting character who did rise to the rank of S.H.I.E.L.D. when Nick Fury was removed for an unauthorized strike on Latveria. So, overstepped his bounds, got replaced. Hmm. We have Alexander Pierce, who in the... When did we learn that again? The the part about her kind of stepping up or whatever? Oh, that happened in the comic books. That happened around 2008, uh, I think. Okay. I think somewhere in there. Okay. Um, yeah. She's, like I said, rather newish character, but a good one. Um, Alexander Pierce, Pierce in the comics is nothing like Robert Redford. Okay. <laughs> he first <laughs> appeared in Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D. number three in 1988. Uh, he was created by Bob Harris and Paul Nearly. He was more of a supporting character uh, to Nick Fury and an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I believe somewhere in the comic mm. books he died. I forgot to make a note of that one. Okay. Um, now, the Falcon or uh, Samuel Thomas Sam Wilson was created by Stan Lee and Gene Colan. Uh, and he first appeared in 1969 in Captain America number 117. He is, by the way, considered to be the first superhero, African-American superhero in mainstream comics. I think he predates um, John Stewart. So, um, and, if, you know, and in case you're thinking that this just he's just a guy in a wingsuit, it does note that in the comic books, he does have abilities, including the telepathic ability to speak to birds. He is mm. a skilled martial artist, an acrobat, tactician, strategist, bird trainer, and skilled in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Mm -hmm. All things that Dwight Schrute would approve of. <laughs> so, moving on, we Beat have... Beat enthusiast? That's the only thing we gotta find <laughs> no, out. No. And to round out our Winter Soldier additional cast, we have 
Winter Soldier, a.k.a. Bucky Barnes. And we did not talk about him in Captain America, but it is worth noting that he has sort of two origin stories in a way. Um, His first is James Buchanan, quote, Bucky Barnes. He was the kid sidekick to Captain America, and he was created by Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, same guys who did Captain America, and first appeared with Cap in Captain America Comics number 1, 1941. Uh, He was, of course, believed dead. And the aftermath of Cap's final mission in World War II, that was all retconned and everything. But when he went into the ice, um, his second origin is Winter Soldier. He first reappeared in Captain America number six in 2005 and would go on to be Captain America after Captain America's supposed death and becoming him in Captain America number 34 in 2008. So there was a time where he was Captain America. Which now, I mean, he held the shield in the movie too. Oh yeah, no, they they kind of. So I'm sure that was a nod. Yeah, yeah, they played they played nods of that. Now, our characters from the Guardians of the Galactor, we have Peter Quill, or as we sometimes call him, Peter Jason Quill, Star Lord, uh, was created by Steve Englehart and Steve Gaughan in 1976. He first appeared in Marvel Previews number four. He is son of Merida Quill and a Spartan eye by the name of Jason, who later became Emperor of the Spartax. Now, alien species, not ego in this one so alien father but this case not ego interestingly enough i think drax the Ra- drax a known destro- species yeah, yeah well it's not at this point not to us in the mcu but well, the drax the destroyer one is really one that i was fascinated when i went back and looked at he first appeared in invincible iron man number 55 in 1973 hmm. created by jim starlin he was originally a human named arthur douglas whose family was attacked by thanos so that's connected all right um, but a being named Kronos chose Arthur to f- become a champion to fight Thanos, and he was given enhanced strength and resilience, also flight and the ability to shoot energy from his hands, powers which were taken away from him in 2004. <laughs> and, and never restored in the MCU no, that I know no. of, at least. I still need to see the third one. Yeah. Rocket Raccoon, of course, came to us in Marvel Previews number seven in 1976. He was created by Mill Mantello and Keith Giffen. He is, of course, and this I think is rec- accurately reflected in the MCU, he is an expert marksman, weapon specialist, and master tactician. Huzzah. Pretty good. Now, of course, Groot really is the oldest character in the bunch. He actually goes way back to 1960. He was created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. Um, and he first appeared as a monster in Tales to Astonish number 13. His originally was an invader bent on capturing humans to experiment on. So not as friendly. No, not, not quite. Now, G- uh, Gamora, um, much like Drax the Destroyer, was also created by Jim Starlin uh, and first appeared in Strange Tales number 180 in 1975. She is, of course, the adopted Thane, uh, daughter of Thanos. And apparently the last of her species in the comic Ooh. books. She, of course, has superhuman strength, uh, uh, agility, and accelerated healing, which is pretty close to what we have in the in the MCU. Yeah. Now, Nebula had no connection to her whatsoever in the comic book. She first appeared in Avengers number 257 in 1985. Of course, she looks nothing like her MCU version, if you go look for images of her. Uh, she was created by Rod Stern and John Buscema uh, and pretty much was a long time kind of anti-hero uh, once she was stopped being a villain. So that's kind of close. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think here's a fun one. Ronan close to where the, we're going. For yeah. Sure. Ronan the Accuser. Of course, is a Cree, <clears throat> a Cree accuser, which is like their version of a judge. Um, magic. I kind of like to think of him as like a Judge Dredd kind of judge. 
or a um, Creek user. Yeah. <laughs> he was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and first appeared in Fantastic Four number 65 in 1967. Mm. Of course, the Cree themselves are incredibly militaristic, as we'll see when we get to Captain Marvel. And the comics, he has a more, shall we say, noble version than what he became in the MCU because he actually kind of became more of a good guy at one point and ended up marrying the inhuman uh, Crystal, who is an inhuman royal family member and ex-wife of Quicksilver. So fun bit there. Okay. Um, I didn't even know he'd gotten he'd turned his life around, but good for him. <laughs> it was the dancing. Yeah. You know, once he knew he could dance. Yes. So in the MCU, the events of Captain America Winter Soldier are pulling together several Marvel storylines from such lines as Secret Warriors and Captain America Winter Soldier. And of course, the Guardians in the movie are teaming up as kind of a hodgepodge of galactic space characters from Marvel comic books being pulled together. And then, of course, the biggest revelation is the fact that. Brian Michael Bendez decided to remake Nick Fury to be like Samuel L. Jackson. And then when they made the movies, they brought in Samuel L. Jackson to play Nick Fury. Chef's kiss. Yeah. So our topic of conversation is a build on what we talked about a little bit last week here. And uh, some of what we talked about in the main pod, uh, looking at the sort of deontological elements that are involved in both of these films. So to remind ourselves of a um, little bit more detail here about what deontology is. So the way the word deontology derives from the Greek words meaning duty and science or study of logos, which is reason. So the duty of reason or the duty or the study of reason. In contemporary moral philosophy, deontology is one of the uh, one of those kinds of normative theories regarding which choices are morally required, forbidden or permitted. In other words, deontology falls within a domain of moral theories that guide and assess our choices of what we ought to do, okay, in contrast mm -hmm. to what the, to and to those that guide and assess the kind of person we should be. So this is not necessarily a reflection of someone's character, it's a reflection of choices we make. And the most important thing to remember when we think about a deontological choice is that when you are faced with a tough decision, you do what was right and you value making the right doing what is right over whatever the consequences might be. This is where this stands in contrast to utilitarianism, where you would value the consequences and you'd be willing to say, not do things that might be so great as long as the best outcome happens. Hmm. Okay. So our question I'd like us to discuss for this one then is where Captain America is an incredibly obvious deontological figure what ways do we see deontological choice, uh, deontological decisions making uh, that he is making in both in that film? And do we see any of that going on in the characters we find in Guardians? So we're talking here about the deontological. And I'll lead us off by referring to what I think I mentioned on the main pod and what I mentioned to you before we got started recording. Captain America's decision, if you want to pinpoint the most deontological moment of his whole arc inside of winter soldier or at least when it's the most pronounced it's always there but when he gets to that point with when he and nick fury are conversing before the final battle and nick fury is talking about trying to figure out a way to save some of shield and captain america says no it all goes all of it that is him saying f the choices or f the consequences this is the right thing. This is what we're going to do. And Nick Fury, who is quite utilitarian, bows to that decision. And in fact, he doesn't get any support from Maria Hill. So that doesn't help him either. But 
what do we think about that? And then let's turn, once we thought about that, let's think about something. What, what do we see some of this inside mayhaps the guardians as well? Um, well, I mean, to the, it all goes sort of thing. You know, I think, well, I think Captain America, as you said, is very deontological mm-hmm. um, in general, right? Which, oh yeah, you know, rules above all almost. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, in Age of Ultron, when Ultron says God's righteous soldier, that's a direct like, yeah. knock oh, yeah. line at what he, how he sort of views it. Well, himself. he's the goody two-shoe, right? You know, doesn't oh, yeah. drink, doesn't smoke. You know, what does he do? He believes um, in doing the right thing. He's less focused on consequences, more focused on right actions. Right. So. I. Yeah. I to to that one moment, I don't know how much more I could speak other other than what, you know, to kind of echo what you said. I think to the idea that he is strictly in inside deontology, I I don't know that I agree with that for Cat America. I think there are times where he, including with Bucky, does the wrong thing because he desires the outcome more than the rules. Now he he can essentially justify it by creating a different set of rules, right? Oh, well, you know, a moral rule, an ethical rule, doing right by Bucky versus doing right by the actual, you know, laws and rules in that way. And so maybe that still falls, you know, into the, to the deontology, you know, side of things. But I think in general, it seems like. It's what he values. He trusts the, the system, you know, well, no, it's what he values to be the right choice. If you think about when he's on the mission, and he he completes the mission, you know. He gets the thing done. He does what he has to do. And when the mission is done, he switches priorities to saving Bucky because he believes that's also a right thing. He yeah. sort of compartmentalizes and prioritizes. So he takes the mission first. Second, he then realizes that he he has he feels a, that the right thing to do is to not leave Bucky when Bucky is trapped under that beam. This is a guy who just shot him, you know, a couple Mm -hmm. times, Mm -hmm. tried to kill him. He believes that there is someone there worth saving. And when he sees him trapped underneath that beam, a typical consequentialist or utilitarian point of view would be save yourself. He's a bad guy. Oh, well, that's his consequences. But he actively makes the opposite decision. That's what I thought was really fascinating is he he will not let go. He believes that life and saving Bucky's life is important. And to my point earlier, then, based on that, isn't that arguably against what he probably should have done rules wise, you know, for the the better like saving Bucky is is kind of selfish, right? On his end versus letting him perish and preventing the threat he poses you know, and, and the town he's torn up along the way towards that, right? But that's an ignoring of the consequences. He's not paying attention to the consequences. He believes that this is the right thing. Now, the thing that I think is important to note sure. here is that he puts the mission first, Bucky second. If he flipped those, I would agree with your selfishness comparison. I think he will. He, he completes the mission, which is to switch out that card. When that is complete, he's willing to go and do whatever he feels is right to save somebody he believes is still in there. Well, I mean, that's a submission, right? He was yeah. doing that to, to create a better opportunity for the larger mission, right? Um, so I think on one hand, the mission's not quite done, right? The other side of the my my argument is that 
Captain America is the leader, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yet we see him kind of making these choices and doing, you know, even if we're going to argue that saving Bucky was quote unquote the right thing to do morally, ethically, and and you know, deontologically, um, then is he the type of leader we want to follow? Right. I mean, doesn't that get to a larger question of, because again, he is saving Bucky on the terms of what is right to him, but maybe not necessarily right to the larger mission that he is still a part of at this point. But I still think this makes him deontological because I still think he's, maybe you are, I think you're fair to question his leadership. I think that's fair, but I think within a choice, making the right choice based on his moral and ethical guidance, he doesn't. De- he doesn't deviate. In my opinion. No, I mean, let's get down to it. Was saving Bucky the right choice? In his mind, it was. He didn't care about the consequences. See, what but that's doing, the issue, right? I know. He, it's it's all based on his perspective. That's right, and that's that. That's something that he will come into conflict with Iron Man later. He and Tony yeah. don't don't sure. agree on yeah. this. Good point. I mean, that will come up in Civil War. We're going to come back to this in a way in Civil War because his right thinking he's right is what Tony Stark nails him to the wall over. So it's then, what they, it's what tears them apart. So then, in, in that case, deontology itself is selfish, because if you're always approaching a decision from what I think is right, what I think is the correct thing to do, then you're always going through life doing what you want. You know? Well, it is if you it will, is, it is premised around an idea that you are guided by a sense of a moral code. And that's usually shaped by outside forces just as much as an internal. It's not purely a selfish driven thing because you could be basically driven by selfishness to make wrong choices or make choices that are not considered good. I mean, if we get into a dispute here about Aristotle's idea of what constitutes the good, then we go down an entirely different road. And I think that's the key thing when you're thinking about moral ethics is that even though you may be perceived as making selfish choices, you are acting from a shaped and developed sense of a moral code usually that is not something that you inherently develop on your own that is something that you gradually take in from outside influences as you develop as a human being right and i mean obviously everything uh, you know uh, nurture over nature right to that end on on almost everything um and and to that end that's I guess I'm getting into maybe a larger point than just whether Captain America's choice was correct or this moment was correct. But like, to me, it gets into a larger point of you have conflicting views, you know, so often in life and so often in our cultures, our religions, whatever it may be, um, where everyone's approaching something from their own day, you know, deontological spectrum, then what is right if that's the argument like that anyone well, I think makes that's the thing is that what is considered right and good is usually a more is usually a social construct so sure i mean i think we can i think most of us but who's society right well, i mean saying, as you were saying that is a collective decision making i mean that's also culturally shift that also shifts based on cultures times and all kinds of things it's not a a standard etched in stone it's it has fluidity to it but i think it is uh, sort of within a, a moral sensibility or zeitgeist that people tend to operate. And of course, Captain America is himself operating outside of his own, you know, original mm-hmm. uh, moral development zone of the 1940s and 30s. So uh, then let's let's I'll, I'll take that argument then okay. and say that Captain America is this came out in what, 2013. I think we've we've tried to mm-hmm. tie it in Casey's uh, timeline yeah, yeah, that he's yeah. doing. Um you know, this is 2013. This is, is the MCU an America in the shadow of 9 11? 
because in this case, societally, right? Let me, I'm, I'm working my, my way to, I'm just a small country lawyer, right? Um, in, in that case, the society at large would view Bucky as a terrorist for his actions. Yes. And at this point, based on the decision of, of Cap America saving Bucky, deontologically from Cap America's standpoint, his personal belief, it is right to save Bucky. From an American culture in the shadow of 9 11, there's an argument made you don't save and let go a terrorist who has literally just committed terrorism. But well, we're also a Judeo Christian country with values about loving thy neighbor. And he is and white. So I mean, you know. I'm just I'm just saying there's like this it's it's a melting pot of a lot of different yeah. things. You're right. And yeah, there I mean is, there's there is a lot an of argument. Makeups. There's right. an argument. And I think a utilitarian argument would really um slam him. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I align with with Tony Stark more when we get to this this kind of debate in the MCU. And I'm saying and I think what we have to consider here in the overall picture of things is that we are multitudes. Most people exist on the spectrum sure. where we move between utilitarian and deontological thinking. And it oftentimes boils down to little, to, you know, decision makings, how great is the decision we can take another scale here where the magnitude mm-hmm. of the decision itself can push us one way or the other so um yeah i think there's a lot more to the and we're not done with these okay so hot we're not take i guess for me yeah, i know <laughs> captain america is a bad person who does bad things well, I thought the hot take was you're just a country <laughs> lawyer no i'm not take. i'm not <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Eddie come on and do that one. <laughs> he is a small town it. country lawyer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, so um, let's shift gears here. I want to talk All a little right. bit about the Guardians because they don't necessarily directly fit into this, but they are positioned in, in a situation where they are a collective group of people who are trying to figure out what to do with an object that they then come to find out is a ma- weapon of mass destruction, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, and of course, I would argue that Drax is incredibly deontological because he doesn't know better. Yes, <laughs> he thinks right? oh, he yeah. he is actually acting from the idea that every selfish action he takes is the right thing because he's a literalist. But to that end, he's also taking anyone could change his mind simply by True. stating, well, this is a rule. Yeah, you know, he's so. not really operating inside of a moral code as he's yeah. operating from sort of a just a sort of pure instinct for like revenge and destruction you know which to that end i think plays into where you're going which is this is extremely the opposite end of of deontological rockets a a utilitarian yeah they're all i I I feel like they're all pretty utilitarian well i think groot is in their efforts is is too i think groot interesting the fact that groot lays down his life for them Mm -hmm. that is a highly utilitarian move that rocket actually objects to you know, in a lot of ways, because he's doing what Spock did in the Wrath of Khan. He's mm-hmm. doing the logical equation of the good of the many outweighs the needs of the or the good the good the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right. That's his lot. That's a logic. That's a utilitarian perspective. Groot acts from that. I think, funny enough, Gamora might be the most deontological of the group. What do you think? Think about when she confronts Quill after they find out it's an Infinity Stone and they get away from the Collector. What does she mm. say to do? She says we have to take the stone to Novacore, and and then Quill immediately goes, or <laughs> you know, yeah. But I don't know that I'd call that deontology so much as thinking like there's a safe haven. You know, she might be you, acting utilitarian there too. Right, like her, just her outcome is different from from Quill's. Right, but I think she's actually trying to make a good choice. 
oh yeah sure she, no she's a, doing think, the ethical in that case no, she's, yeah. ma- she's making an ethical choice in the sense that this is the right thing to do she has right. a moment of clarity because up until that point she's being very utilitarian seeking the money just like the rest of them but she has a moment of clarity when she realizes what it is and she thinks this is the right thing we've got to do this mm. and then of course quill and everybody else is like and then of course drax called ronan so right you know and I think and that the deontologi- anyway. I think the deontological element of Gamora actually comes out a lot when she deals with Nebula. There is a weird sort of give and take there, sort of like the sisterhood of them a little bit develops as they go along. Well, to that end, I would say that Nebula is more deontological. She might be too. We, like we she's to very of... much like no, the system. You know, we have to do this right. But she may I not mean, be she's opposite. brainwashed she's... almost to that end. Yeah. I don't think she's really operating from a moral code is more of this is what I've got to do because her whole upbringing and being torn apart by Thanos kind of built into her a heavy survival mode. She's just what? might have fucked her up. No way. I know, I know. No joke. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's worth I mean, I don't think we're done with this. So any any final thoughts on either one of these? I no. I think I need to understand deontological ethics better, but like I would argue, I ha- I I I don't know. I'm curious to see if my my take that I'll I, I stand with a uh, Iron Man remains when we actually get to Civil War soon. So and I, and I just to remind everybody, remember, deontological approach simply means you do what is right and you care less Oof. about consequences. More the value scale is put more on doing the right thing and not on the consequences. And as we'll see in our next episode, we'll talk a little bit more about that utilitarian angle where we put more emphasis on the actual consequences versus doing what's right, which is where we get into the idea that we can do things that might be a little sketchy. So I think both require a statement of who watches the watchman. (laughs) So what are your thoughts? We'd like you to tell us. So write us at not funny guys dot off the reels at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents at Instagram and, and Twitter at not funny guys pod. And we will be on blue sky hopefully soon. So stay strange and keep asking questions. Until next time.